This is the Goalkeeper Roundtable, hosted by Dr. Bill Steffen, with Jeff Shook, George Castellas, and Dave LaTourette. Welcome back, after a bit of a hiatus, of course, to the Goalkeeper Roundtable. Today, in episode 16, we welcome the Director of Goalkeeping for the Houston Dynamo Academy, Jason Grubb, to pull up a chair. Jason is in a unique situation where he gets to see the pathway that runs from under 10 goalkeeping all the way up to professionals. And he takes his experiences and his passion and shares that all with us today here. So let's get started with Dr. Bill, GK, Shooky, Lotto, and the Grubber. Okay, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whatever, um, wherever you are. Um, we're very excited because we actually started talking before we recorded. So we're recording now, but we have a Jason Grubb from the Houston Dynamo who works with their academy and has just a vast experience of goalkeeper coaching. And we just immediately got into a discussion on um, technique and uh, a technique that's kind of, um, I don't know, bouncing around or uh, being investigated or tried out or taught by different people. And it's kind of an inverted step where the lead foot, the ball side foot, um, moves away from the ball so moves interiorly or medially if i want to use official terms and then you take a stride off of that and so i think we were talking about a little bit about the biomechanics of it and the effectiveness of it and jason was uh sharing with us some of his experience with the dfb when mls coaches went over and worked for a week over there so jason if you could pick that up um i think everybody would appreciate hearing it yeah, absolutely. First and foremost, thank you so much for, for having me on today. Absolute pleasure to be on here to, to talk goalkeeping and, and, and to talk with you guys. The, um, so we're talking about, we got talking about the, the first action or the first uh, mechanical step of the goalkeeper or the first movement. The, um, we're talking about obviously the inverted movement of, of, of the step. So first time I was really exposed to this was with Joe Willis, uh, who we had at Houston Dynamo. Joe, obviously, as you know, six foot five, man mountain of a man. Um, often when he sets, he's going to be slightly wider because he's a bigger lad. So that way, if he's a little bit wider, he's naturally putting his weight to the to the insides of his feet so he can get maybe maybe a, a greater push in, in the left or right direction. But one of the things I've noticed with him is that often his first action was to with his feet was to step back in on himself to then move into you know, into the dive or into into line with the ball, etc. Uh, this was probably the first time I was exposed to it. Uh, as I was mentioning, last year, the MLS were lucky enough to go across uh, to Germany to study underneath Mark Ziegler and the DFB staff. Um, one of the one of their uh, the things that they studied off the back of the last World Cup was actually this, this movement. They wanted to look to see whether it was a natural trend across world football. Um, I don't have the exact numbers, the figures, but they, the numbers were high. They were talking around 70 or 75% of the first action of the goalkeeper was to actually step with an inverted step back on themselves to then go into the ball. But this was often happening when they were moving into a position. So it wasn't coming from the goalkeeper being static. 
It was a goalkeeper actually moving, maybe it be onto the angle and then their action happening from there. So they were always in a moving position. One of the things they did notice though, Bill, was the action was a high percentage. The first step was away from them, as we would formally know, was away from them from a lot of set pieces. So free kicks and penalties, the first action was actually going away from them because it was they were generating from a static position to then obviously move in. So they, they often found from a moving position, the first step was negative on a high percentage of the time and, and away from them when it was from a static position. I wonder if that's reactive or a breaking force. In other words, they're moving and do they need to break before then? And the other thing then, again, I'm just thinking is, you know, with Joe Wills being larger, having a, a, a wider base, a, I, I don't think that's necessary because what you want to do is once your center of gravity moves outside of your base, you're falling or diving. That's just physics. Once you move your center of gravity over your base, your base being your two feet. Um, so maybe the fact that he has a broader step, it's farther for him. And again, given the length of his body, you know, his length of his legs, etc., for him to move that center of gravity away from it and past his base so he can go by contracting his feet, he's contracting the base, that center of gravity doesn't have to move as far before he can actually take off. Yeah, I think the other, the other side of it as well, the, the piece, with, piece with goalkeeping is that every scenario is so, so different and every goalkeeper is built yeah. so, so different. And, you know, with the, with the individual's physical capabilities accompanied with then the scenario, I suppose it's good to have a multitude of options to be able to provide the goalkeeper. You know, maybe maybe it's not just one action at all times, but just giving them um, multiple options. And that's, to be honest with you, that's what we've done, I suppose, in recent recent times here at the Houston Dynamo, is try to, try to obviously build things around giving the goalkeepers as many options. We can't be the one as the coach is making the decision for them, but giving them many options as we can. Um, and then obviously allowing them to experiment with those options as we go through. Yeah. Okay. A lot of, I think you had something and I've got yeah. something as well. So two things, I think one thing people should remember, Bill starts talking physics. This is Dr. Bill, as you, everyone hears in the intro. So <laughs> I paid back, for it. Uh, so you better use yes, it. You, yes, you did. But the second piece is in my deep analytical research on BN sport, YouTube, uh, ESPN, Fox Sports, whatever, but it's easy. I started playing with this the other day and I said, well, just pull up a YouTube highlight where they go, they show every single goal from uh, the, uh, the Champions League on a given day. And it's, you know, in 15 minutes. And started to watch and there were, there were you know, highlights and goals. And, and it was interesting what Jason said because I started to notice and I wish I could remember, it might have been the AEK goalkeeper where, um, I saw that movement with the negative step, the inverted step in the, in the run of the game per se. So in his, in, in his movements, and then, and then he was defending a, a penalty kick and it was the opposite. He, he went from a static position with a step towards the ball. And I saw that with some other goalkeepers too. Uh, one of the MLS goalkeepers, um, and so it's, it's interesting that he says that, and it started, that would have been the second piece of my question was starting to think, so why, why are they doing it differently from, you know, let's say a penalty kick uh, as opposed to in the, in the run of play? 
Yeah. I mean, I think that's one of the things, and again, this is kind of like a lot of your points, kind of like what I was going to, I don't know if it's a question or not, but with, with Jason is um, one of the things I've gotten away from is I will never kick a stationary ball at a goalkeeper when I'm training them because I want them, just as you alluded to earlier, Jason, the movement, you have to be moving before you dive because you're diving again, I'll fall back on biomechanics. Your diving is so much quicker. Your ground contact time is faster and your explosiveness, the force you generate is more when you are moving versus when you are stationary. And so that's why in a penalty kick, I mean, I, I would always try, and again, I don't know about y'all, but I always always try. I'm taking that step off my line, which is, depending on when I take it is a violation, um, but I'm taking that step to go forward to generate some momentum, to generate some movement, and then using that movement to drive my my dive, so to speak. So I would never, um, I, and I just got into, like I call it rhythm shooting, just to get goalkeepers in the rhythm of reading the shooter's body, knowing when to set. And that may be where that inverted step comes in, is in reading as the as the forward approaches the ball, I'm going to approach him, but I've got to time it so that as they're striking the ball, that's when I get set. And that's maybe when I take that inverted step to, um, I don't know, break, I think is probably the best word. So it's a breaking motion to then to kind of almost like reestablishing your body shape. So you're kind of from settling. That breaking. Yeah, yeah, you're yeah. settling. Okay. But also I wanted to go back to, uh, to Lotto there. Just so everybody knows, being the Greek on here, AEK is also known as Ike. Okay, so I need to get that. Bravo. Bravo. <laughs> I, George, I, did, I did know that, George, and I almost said that, but I, I don't know what, our, what, what the four listeners that are out there understand. George, what were you seeing this year, Mendanda and some of the goalkeepers you're working with, with maybe that first action? Um, well, I only got to work with them, uh, unfortunately, just through the preseason. And, you know, again, I think I, I really like what you said, Jason. I mean, you, you, are given, um, you are given unique people and very different where Michael Novotny is extremely, I would say, courageous, dynamic, um, where, uh, you know, he's just got such a competitive mentality um, Mandanda was a very, I'd say very Neuer-esque, very calm demeanor. Um, I think he had to get used to the U.S. game in, in regards to the, the level of intensity, so the training environment, but at the same time, what a dynamic uh, athlete, extremely, extremely dynamic, and um, the differences between, I would say, his approach and Michael's approach was that, again, a little bit laissez-faire at, at moments, but um, technically, it would, there is definitely some room for improvement. But at the same time, I think you know at that level, you're not trying to change too much. You're just giving them bits and pieces to focus on. Yeah, absolutely. Good, good. Yeah, no. George, bonus points for saying Neuresque and laissez-faire in the same point. All right? <laughs> um, okay. Uh, Jason, I, I wanted to talk for, for people that may be listening just a little bit. What, what is your role and responsibilities with Houston? What are you exactly yeah, so, are you charged with? Yeah, so currently I'm, uh, I suppose the official title would be called uh, Head of uh, Academy Goalkeeping. So my role would be I oversee the under 23s all the way down to our under nines, under, yeah, under nines, under 10. So and obviously everything in between. 
Um, so that would be my main responsibility. But then I work obviously very closely with Paul Rogers, who you, you guys know very well. Um, he's obviously the first team goalkeeper coach. We work we work very very closely together. Up until COVID, pretty much my role would be I'd be hit in as his assistant nearly every day, uh, working with himself with Tab Ramos and the, the other coaching staff. Um, and then obviously helping him off the field with all, all the little bits as well, scouting, uh, the gym stuff, et cetera, et cetera. So really I wear a number of different hats, but my main role is, is overseeing the development of the academy goalkeepers. Um, yeah, from, from, uh, from 10 all the way through to, to our 23s. Good, good. Um, and you're just on the male side, is this correct? Yeah, that's correct, yeah. So that's what we have, yeah. Okay, good, good. Um, now you said you have under nines and under tens. I'd be interested in how you balance, and I imagine that you want them to become a soccer player almost before they become goalkeeper. How do you balance that with the under nines and under tens? Yeah, it's a great question. The um, it, I always get asked the question, and again, I'm sure you guys have been faced with this one a number of times: is when should they start? When should young goal or young players start to play in goal? And I think it's almost a million dollar question. It's all it, it's. It, it depends on the individual. We've we've all come across that one individual that is an out and out just wants to play in goal. Has their has their heart and their mindset on I am a goalkeeper, and they, they might be nine, ten years of age. We've also come across the ones that have maybe a lot of upside. Maybe they're 13, 14, but don't really have any aspirations to play in goal. But it's where we have to then start to maybe instill some of the love in it. Uh, from, 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 from a goalkeeper coach's point of view, to try and maybe entice them to want to play. So we both, I, I would say, we've all come across the, the two types of, of individual. When it comes to how we've developed, we've actually took a, a little bit of a unique uh, pathway. We have some incredible um, coaches working with the field players at, within the academy at the younger age groups. Um, Justin Neese and Dan Roberts, just to, just to name two. The, um, and they've done an amazing job with the field players and the goalkeepers. So one of the things that we've done with that age specifically is that although they, we've brought them in as a goalkeeper to the academy, they've always come in to training as a field player first. So the first 20 to 25 minutes, they're as a field player. So they're one, they're working on all their motor skills with the ball and they're working on their technical skills with the ball. They're also working on their social skills. Now, I think when we, when we think about young players as well, when they come from school, they're coming in back in friends, and we'll put if we're just pulling them into the goalkeeping environment, we're taking them away from that social setting straight away. So we put them straight into that social setting straight off the bat. And we've actually found that it's worked really well. After 20, 25 minutes, we pulled them away, and then that's where we've started, if you like, a formal goalkeeper training when it's been in small groups. And okay. then we've implemented them back in for the for the last 30 minutes of training when it's positional games small study, et cetera, et cetera. So we've sort of gone down that road. So it's all, all, they've almost gone player, goalkeeper, player within the team, goalkeeper, player within the team. Yeah. So we've sort of gone down that road and we've seen um, huge benefits to our current under-13s and under-14s on their comfort level with the ball and their decisions with the ball. Um, so when we're in possession, a huge difference, huge benefit. Okay. Um I would imagine that you're also seeing better because again, I, we're, I forget which one we were talking a little bit ago. And one of the things is I would work mostly with college goalkeepers and a little bit more uh, advanced goalkeepers is 
spending a lot of time on decision making. And so I imagine if you are dealing with them as field players earlier, they can make decisions, even if they're not making a decision to a field player, just the decisions of reading the game becomes much better. And I would think that's a tremendous benefit. Yeah, absolutely. The, um, do you know, it goes as well when you, it almost, it comes down to the environment that we set as well, when we pull the goalkeepers into the small goalkeeping environment. Um, one of the things we've tried to implement in the last 18, yeah, 18 to, to 20 months is that we want the ball to be active 70% of our sessions. When the goalkeepers are in with the goalkeeping session, myself and the staff, we aim for the ball to be active 70% of the session. So if their ball's active, it's constantly forcing the goalkeeper into decision-makings in positioning, decision-makings on, do they have to come down the line of the ball? Do they have to drop deeper? Is it turning into 1v1? There's so many different things that come into it. Plus, plus if the ball's in motion, it means that they're playing with their feet. So it's twofold. Um, so that's one thing we've, we've really tried to harp on it but between myself and the staff to try and make sure when they do come into our environment, that ball is active 70% of the time. So we're both, we're working in possession, out possession and the transitional moments. Good, good. No, 70% is a good mark. That's uh, what's recommended for all coaching sessions to keep the players active. And obviously with the ball being active, I, I like your point about uh, having to readjust positioning and so forth, because that's just a big part. I think, Jeff, did you have a question? Yeah, Jason, I'm a little curious. Um, and if you could share this with us, it would be great. What's the total number of goalkeepers you're responsible for between nine and 23? And then are those players in on a permanent basis or are you constantly running through trials throughout the year with players coming in from the area or out of the area? Yeah, it's, again, another really good question. In the last 12 months, the, the academy has evolved in multiple different ways. So now we actually, we have, we're basically four phases of development. We call them our foundation, formation, pre-professional, and professional. So if we take our, our foundation and our formation, for example, so our foundation is, is our U9s through U12, so anything small-sided. This year is the first year we've taken all the small-sided goalkeepers and, and teams off-site. Off so they're not at our training ground anymore. They're actually located at eight different, um, eight different training centres around the city of Houston and they train between three and four times a week. Now within that that pool, that, that foundation pool, we have at the moment we have 30 goalkeepers um, from nine to 12. And then from there I've selected between six and eight that we bring in once a week with myself. Um, so they come into the facility once a week with myself um, because they are almost like the high potential players from that 30. However, those 30 goalkeepers, even in the last three, four years, the standard has increased dramatically. But from a day-to-day -day basis at the academy, we have our U13s all the way to the 19s on a day-to-day -day basis at the academy. Currently, we have 18 goalkeepers. Um, 18 goalkeepers that I work with directly on a day-to-day on -day basis. And then with our U23s, at the moment, that's our... Um, USL2 team so they're more of a summer like the old PDL so we have around between six and eight goalkeepers that are currently in college that could be eligible for a homegrown contract with us that we're, we're obviously keeping tabs on uh, but they're not more day-to-day -day, that's more seasonal throughout and that's really throughout that summer period um, now 
on the on the other side of that, we actually have a partner club on the north side of Houston. Houston's massive, so it's more. We have to we actually have to view Houston not like a not like a city. We actually have to take the mindset of viewing it more like a country. Just the greater area has about seven point two million people uh, in the greater Houston area, so it's more like a country. We actually have a we actually have a club in the north of the city, which has around ten thousand players. And you're talking around five. 500 goalkeepers and I think it's around 350 male goalkeepers wow. so then on top of what we're doing here we're actually doing a lot of coach education and philosophy imp uh, implementing our philosophy within those within their coaches goalkeeper coaches um, and that's sort of our other pipeline into the academy so if a player is just on the bubble on the verge we actually send them into into that environment because they're playing in the same youth league as us so they're playing at the same level and then now working underneath the same philosophy. So that's sort of a, another side project and another side group of goalkeepers we have working as well. But it, what it does do is it really then gives us a greater net to work from. Uh, we've just we've basically tripled the numbers in, in the last couple of years. But what we're finding is that the standard is getting better and better at those younger age groups. Good, good. George, what do you got? Jason, just out of curiosity, is that um, is, is are they all they're under the Houston Dynamo umbrella? So same affiliation, same name, obviously. Yeah, it's just an affiliation. So we're, we're Houston Dynamo and Houston Dynamo Academy. Okay. They're uh, Dynamo Dash youth programs. So it's slightly different, but yeah, it's 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 through affiliation and underneath the same. And, and yeah, one, one thing they've done is they we've been able to take the technical control of the program. Uh, I work very closely with the director of goalkeeping up there, Justin Fight, uh, and he has around six to eight staff that he works with. And again, we're, we're constantly in um, working on their coach education, et cetera, to make sure the sessions fit somewhat the same. Um, and again, Paul Rogers has been fantastic with this. He, he's, he's headed this program up and it's really started to gain some momentum. So I would say we're going to see the fruits of this labor in the next three or four years really coming through. Obviously at the professional level, we're, we're very familiar that scouting's a, a, a big part of, of the game. So at this level, the academy level or pre-academy level, um, how do you guys do the, the talent identification? Yeah, it's, it's, it's massive at every level. Um, I got asked, I got asked this question uh, recently actually, and, and it, and it all depends on on the breakdown of the phases. So, with our again with our grassroots with that foundation, a lot of it's done through one um, the, the programs that we have in and around town and the scout we have in and around town. Like I said, we have a pool of thirty goalkeepers that we're working with, which is which again is a good number to get us going. Um, so we rely heavily on that within our younger ones. When it gets to the older, older guys, so that pre-professional group, so the 17s, 18s, and 19s, we start to look nationally. So if, if, there's, if there's someone in an area of the country that's really excelling, we have the ability to be able to bring these players in, um, put them in a, a fantastic homestay, provide them online school, and then obviously they train with us full, train players full-time. Um, that's then, rely, we rely heavily on that. We don't have a national goalkeeper coaching uh, scouting department but we are what we what we've done is we've worked with again a lot of our, our networks around around the country to provide provide that information whether it's come from the college coaches or other coaches working in, in youth programs 
um, to be able to provide that. You know, currently we have two lads in from New York in our pre-professional group that are doing fantastic. We have a, we have a young lad in from Dallas, uh, which is about four and a half hours up the road from us, who's doing, who's doing very well for our 17. So depending on the phase, it's going gonna, it's gonna to look a little bit different on how and what we can do uh, on the scouting side. Hmm. Interesting. You guys are stealing from FC Dallas. That's uh, yeah. uh, interesting. Um, if I can change the, the tack for a bit, Jason, I'm curious as to, um, with your upper level goalkeepers, not necessarily just the professional, but the pre-professional in the, in the 23s, et cetera, like that, um, what kind of analytics do you do on your goalkeepers? And I'm going to make two kind of distinctions, one being like the purely athletic analytics, vertical whatever kind of speed tests you do, anything along those lines. And I don't know if you do anything at all, but I'm just curious what you would do there. And then things that are more, let's say, match-related or uh, playing-related. What kind of analytics do you guys yeah. get? Yeah, so from, from that side of things, um, I would say I'd say at least two of the sessions each week are filmed. Um, and they're filmed from a number of different areas, so angles, if you like. We have, obviously, the GoPro setup around our small group goalkeeper training. But then we have also maybe one or two different cameras set up on team training, the drone and maybe one of the other cameras. So then that way we can we can see a number of different things. With us, we're looking at small uh, physical and technical details when it's with the, within the within the goalkeeping group. Then when they go in with the team, you're looking at their again their relationship, their integration, the decision making with the team. Uh, so we can we can look at that type of type of situations, and then obviously game day footage, uh, which is done. So we, I try and do one, one um, training on one game day per week with obviously each of the goalkeepers. What we try and do is, is it depends on the individual really. It's about knowing how they want the information. So not every goalkeeper will want the, the information given to them in the same way uh, because, it, because it's just not how they learn. So often I'll, I'll, I'll actually reverse it back onto them. And just, again, throw it out. Is there something you want to see this week? Did you want to revisit something that we did in training in our stuff? Or do you want to revisit some of the team stuff? And obviously, we always look at the game day. With the game day stuff, it's interesting. I always have them go away and look at it. And then I'll go away and look at it separate. I'll always just say, look, come to the table with two or three things that you really want to focus in on. But try and make two of them a positive. Versus us looking through things and being like, could you have done this? Could you have done that? Come to the table with two things that you've done really, really well that you really like. And what that's for me what we want to keep building on. So we've tried to do it. We've tried to go about doing it that way, Bill. Um, in regards to in regards to the stuff off the field, um, it's actually that stuff's actually taken care of by the strength and conditioning department or sports okay. performance department. Uh, but yeah, they, they will they will run all of the, all of their testing typically um, at the start of the year. Uh, this year, it's obviously been it's not been obviously the typical year. We've not been able to get into the building, so those tests have actually fallen fallen away by the wayside at, at the moment. But typically, we would take yeah the vertical um, different types of of movement with their speed. We do the we do their weight each day. Um, believe it or not, but that's more for the hydration, just because of the area of the country we're in. Yeah. You want to be able to that give them what, what they've got to put back into their body. That's made a huge difference. Um, but that side of things, I'm fortunate, I leave solely to, solely to them. Now, you know, it's interesting, again, looking at what some of the other clubs are doing around the world. You know, Anthony White, when he was at Bournemouth, he was talking a lot about speed of the reload. 
and measuring the, the speed of the reload every day and making competitions that way. Again, just very insightful and a little bit different, but again, re related to the game. Um, so yeah, that's that's really where, where we're at with everything. Okay. No, because there's so much out there. I mean, and, and it's it's actually, I like hearing that a lot of it is what we call notational analysis. It's just kind of like you looking at it, the player looking at it and coming up with that. Um, because I know some people that do a lot with, you know, what quadrant of the goal gets scored on most frequently. You know, you're giving up more goals to your lower right, things like that. Um, uh, the height of shots that go in versus the height of the goalkeeper. I mean, I'll send you some stuff maybe. I'm going to send you some stuff. Uh, yeah, it's, uh, from, from from that side of things, you know, we, we try and every every six games, what I try and do is try and pull the six games together and go through to see if there's any trends on scenarios the goalkeepers are seeing, um, whether it's the entry ball into the box, the type of finish, the areas of the goal that they're, they're conceding or seeing shots. And then obviously taking that information, sending it back to the head coach, because uh, it may be a, it may be through a, a fault of how we're set up or how we're not defending well, but it also it then gives me, it gives me a grounds to then redevelop my sessions, yes. and it gives me again actual structure. Of we need to see this type of ball. It needs to come. It needs to come in from these areas. So it actually gives me hard. It, it gives me hard evidence on why we're planning the way we are, yeah. versus we're just going to do this. Yeah. yeah. Good. Good. Laro, you have something. You muted. That's. Uh, I wanted to, to to go back. You had discussed um, some coaching education that you do with the uh, with the club that you have the affiliation with, and so part of this question is selfish for me, uh, but also for the coaches out there. Uh, next weekend, I'm going out to the. It's it's the biggest club in the, in the county here, and I'm doing. Um, it, it started as finding a way to get because we're still under pretty solid restrictions here in the county of doing a sort of a functional uh, crossing and shooting session for goalkeepers because they really haven't been in that environment much. They haven't played matches, whatever. And I suggested, well, why don't we make this in two ways? Let's, let's make it functional for the goalkeepers, but also let's do a coaching education session as well. So we're going to do a coaching education session built out of that. And this is mainly for, um, you know, head coaches of, of these, of the club teams. And so my question would be, and I have a, a general idea of what I'm going to be looking for with the goalkeepers that, uh, that un sort of underpins the session, which is going to be, you know, starting positions, communication, um, you know, reading the game. And, you know, I know some distribution and shaping balls and, and where we're playing balls, et cetera, are going to come into it. But when I'm looking at, you know, the, the coaching side, what, some suggestions from you of where you where you're seeing in your education that some of our coaches and I'll say field player coaches maybe are not quite as versed in, in terms of goalkeeping so some suggestions from you part of this for me but also part of this for um, you know the other coaches out there that, that are trying to learn the craft yeah it actually links directly back into the last question and it's relating it to what are the key actions of what the goalkeeper is actually seeing within the game? So a really good, a, a really interesting study to take. And I'm doing it with a group of uh, foundation coaches, foundation goalkeeper coaches I'm working with right now, is that small-sided soccer and full-sided soccer is very different in regards to the actions the goalkeepers are going to see. Very different. So you can't necessarily train them the exact same way. The distance is a shot, 
the, the, the amount of actions with the feet, the different types of crosses, they're, they're vastly different. So one of the big things I'm trying to get across to the catalyst goalkeeper coaches right now, or sorry, our foundation goalkeeper coach right now, is that one, obviously, that continue to teach and develop a solid found, uh, technical foundation is massive. Um, it really is. But also then making sure that actually is what you're doing, is it really relevant to the way that they're, pl- they're having to play at the weekend? Um, if you're a team that wants to build and play, how good is their ability to then play around the back? One touch, two touch, both feet. If, if, um, if they've got to then play into the midfield, how good are they at playing through passes, et cetera, et cetera. So are there key actions? Are, are what they're doing in training, like, is there a direct correlation to what their training is, what they're doing? Is it is it a direct correlation to, to the way they, they play at the weekend and what their key actions are? That's the biggest thing I'm trying to get across to, to our guys right now. Is it is it is it relevant, um, what they're doing? So... That's how we're trying to we're trying to approach it and trying to get the coaches to, to again think deeper about the game and actually really look at the game from 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 the eye of the goalkeeper and the goalkeeper's actions. Yeah, and in the and this club tends to, um, although it's shaped, it's a little bit different because they've gone through some some different directors, but um, they do they do typically like to play some alt. They try to keep a similar formation. Uh, integrated from you know as the ages go up and obviously coaches have their ability to you know uh, to showcase their skills a little bit within types of formations or or, or whatever that even though it's typically you know four three three four two three one sort of sort of systems Um, but one thing they do like to almost always do is just play play through the back maybe not extensively or it's, you know, they get pinned inside their box, like we're seeing a lot and it's always just play out of the box, but we are seeing that a little bit. So what I'm seeing is when, cause I see some of these goalkeepers um, come to the college locally or move on to college and they struggle to two things that they struggle to do. One, play a ball, anything more than with their feet to uh, either outside backs or to a six. They're, they're struggling to play the ball into space into their seven or 11 and skip a line. Um, and, and I, and I, the rest of the guys here know this too. I'm seeing goalkeepers that are struggling to throw a ball, to change the point of attack, throwing the ball. So, um, some, some thoughts from, from, you know, what I'm seeing there. Yeah, no, I think, uh, we've talked about this and again, I think part of that falls to then, <clears throat> excuse me, just being more aware of, I don't know, soccer culture. And I think kids are getting there, but at some point we, we're such a big country that we have, you know, different systems in different places and different coaches and different philosophies. And sometimes that's, that's the variety is beneficial in some aspects and the variety is restricting in some senses. Um, one of the things that I, I'd like to try and talk with most of the guys we've had on, most of the coaches we've had on is um, if you see, I, you talked about the younger goalkeepers over the recent years, really upgrading their level what do you see? What, what what would you spend if you had one of these youth goalkeepers? What would you spend the most time training? What do they need the most work on that you see? Yeah, the I I still feel the adjustment of positioning is 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 foremost the most important. I, I still there is still at times for for what I'm seeing at, at the Dynamo Academy a lack of at times understanding what the attacker can do with the ball 
the type of touch, the level of pressure on the ball, understanding actually what the player, how the player can manipulate the ball and how that then affects how we may adjust, even if it's slightly, our position and our decision of our position. And we're seeing it with, we have a young 16-year-old right now training with the first team on a full-time basis. We're seeing that there's not always a, a clear understanding when a player moves the ball by literally half a yard. What is then the adjustment of the goalkeeper? Um, if there's a different type of pressure on the ball, is there an, is there an adjustment? So understanding that, um, the, that small nuance is, is absolutely huge. The other part that, and again, you guys might be seeing as well, and for life of me, I can't understand why it's going away or, or why I don't see it, but the lack of vocal communication um, throughout. Um, 100%. I, get asked, I, get, I get asked this all the time. And how can we develop uh, goalkeepers to have stronger uh, levels of communication across, across the back line? And one, I, I really don't know. I, I, I don't have the answer. I struck, at times, the lads, um, I wonder whether it's because that they're, they're these young players, they're, all they know is, is the world in their hands, right? It's the phone. And maybe that's part of it and the way society's gone. Um, the other part is, is just maybe they're not exposed to the way I learned was watching going to semi-professional games as a as a young lad and and listening to the the goalkeepers literally bark orders to the back line, take that away and, and imitate it. That's all I was doing. So maybe there's a, there's an element of them not being exposed to it enough as well. Well, I think I think another thing, and again, I'll chip in before I know other people have some ideas here. But I think one of the other things is we tend to see coaches over coaching and making joystick players. In other words, the goalkeeper doesn't have to command anything because the coach is shouting it. And the goalkeeper, especially at a younger age, may be a bit intimidated by that and a little bit hesitant to shout out directions and communication. Um, I had a young lady at Oregon, uh, Sarah Peters. She's Sarah Martin now, I forget her married name. Um, but that was one of the hardest things. She had a great frame, great athleticism for goalkeeping uh, from Washington. So she had a decent playing background, but she was like a church mouse. And we didn't have to make many technical corrections or anything like that, but we had to kind of change her personality on the field. And that was one of the most difficult things to coach. And so I, I would agree that if you don't see that, that's a difficult thing to develop in a, in a, in a younger kid. Um, I know also Lotto and George had some, some thoughts. It just, just quick on the communication. And when, when I was, when I was young and I didn't have, I didn't have a rich, any kind of rich history of, uh, of youth soccer clubs or anything where I was from, I'm from Connecticut, like, like George's, I came from a small town, really at the time, no really sort of club system. I just came from an athletic background and we had a good program within the high school, but I found myself probably in uh, first time I, I went to a university of Connecticut game. It's at the time that they were, uh, winning a national championship, um, had some of the, you know, some of the best players, players in the country. I went with another family to watch a game. And I got to the point where every weekend we made a trip every Sunday, if they were home, we watched them play. Um, my dad took me, I went with friends. And then when I could drive, I drove, uh, and I found myself after a little while, because I was intrigued as a goalkeeper, there were stands behind the goal. And I sat every single game 
behind the goal. So, and I remember, uh, I remember watching a UConn game and Greg Kenny was playing, they were playing Penn state. And I didn't know Greg at the time, but I, I you know, just, I got to know him by watching him and reading and whatever. Um, so I sat for half, I would, you know, watch the UConn goalkeeper for half it was either uh, Jim Renahan or Tony Pierce. And then uh, Greg Kenny in the second half and just sitting there listening to them, watching the game from their perspective, how they moved, where they moved. But the, the, the communication part was really interesting to me because no one ever taught it to me. So I was able to take some of what they would do and just go back to training with the team that night because we always train Sunday evenings. And that's like you, you had mentioned, Jason, uh, just sitting there watching, watching matches. And I try to encourage goalkeepers to do that now. And I don't know that they get a chance or, or make, the, make the time to do that. Uh, that may be a side benefit to these empty stadiums. You can actually hear the goalkeeper, perhaps. If you don't, if you use the app and get rid of the artificial crowd noise, perhaps you can actually do that and have your kids do that. We need um, to have a goalkeeper camera and mic. <laughs> I also think there's a, a thing we're leaving out is too much goalkeeping training in isolation away from the team leaves the goalkeeper empty of what the team's trying to accomplish. So they don't really know how to direct their players because they've been put over in the corner. Hey, go knock balls till we're ready to bring you in. If there was more collaboration between the goalkeeping coach and the back line or within the team, then they would be able to carry out the objectives, communicate the needs of the, the whole versus just last minute communication in the box. Shooky, that's one of the things I want to uh, integrate into my coaching ed education session is not having your goalkeeper goalkeepers warm up by themselves or with somebody else. Let's integrate them right from the start. And, you know, communication distribution and integration is, is part of that. George, George, I know you had something. No, I just think, I just think uh, at this point in time, I don't think it's going to get any easier in regards to the development of communication because of the, the societal part too. I mean, we're communicating so much via text or via email. And I, I, I think <laughs> kids are just, so used to being behind a screen as well. But I like what, what Jason mentioned earlier about how you guys are really focusing on developing the person. So, you know, just planting a seed that maybe in that level of environment, Jason, that you're getting these younger, these younger, uh, I would say aspiring athletes to, to do something in regards to developing more, more comfort being a communicator, whether they're a field player, you know, because that will obviously tran transfer into being a field general, but also the goalkeeper aspect. So just kind of a, again, I just think society makes it a little bit more difficult as well. Yeah, yeah I, I totally agree, George. And one of the things we've done, and it go, goes back to what you're asking as well, Dave, is with our pre-professional goalkeepers, every couple of weeks, I'll text one of the lads the night before and I'll say, design a little 12-minute tw uh, technical activation for us tomorrow right send it to me if, if we want to run by it but just design something here's what we're doing here's the main topic but design something and that way one it gives them accountability you know that they're they're in control of their development but two it gives them a chance to go and use their voice and stand in front of the group and and lead something and it's been brilliant the lads have loved it absolutely loved it and it it won it the one thing we want to constantly teach is that adaptability and we want them to at times be a little bit uncomfortable because that's what the game is. So that's been a great way of us being able to just develop that side of the character as well. And again, it doesn't happen every week, but every couple of weeks, I'll just throw it in there and the lads have loved it. Uh, yes, that's one of the components of, 
Uh, you're developing autonomy, which is one of the three components of self-determination theory, which has been shown to increase intrinsic motivation. Well done. <laughs> I just had to throw that in there. I don't yeah. know. <laughs> but I, I, I love that. I love that point, Jason, because of the ownership part of it. They're taking ownership. And to me, that is so huge when you're getting buy-in from your athletes. Yeah. It's, and the other thing too is, you know, I was doing a session the other night and we've, we've worked on, we've worked on this once a week for the last three weeks is essentially a closing ground or stealing ground, you know, one V one situation or, or reading, reading the through ball, getting into space, closing ground, closing a second touch. Can you hold your shape for as long as you can or whatever it is. And I've developed a lot of questions on it because they've, I've noticed the kids in the club struggle with it. And it's, so I've asked a lot of questions and it's really interesting in the first week, uh, someone would have an answer and you could barely hear him talk. And I'm like, I can't even hear you answer the question. You know, it goes back to projecting your voice and being confident with you. And this week after it, it was almost everybody in unison would, you know, you ask them a question and they know what the answer is and, and it, was, it becomes confident and more louder. So they become confident in their actions and their movements and it starts to come out in their voice a little bit. Yeah, agreed. I think one of the things, and again, I'll, I'll digress and one of the things big about communication this is probably more uh, i think more for the entire team not just the goalkeeper but um when i was at uncg i was watching uncg basketball play duke and my son was with me and we were underneath the basket duke was attacking uh you know the offensive end and when you're this close i mean we were literally second row i think behind the basket and you could just hear the duke players constantly talking to each other talking and after a while you could see the uncg players they're just shutting up and they just are listening to the duke players and right then game over game over um they're just on their heels because the other team is talking and interacting so much and as i said they were they were to be honest i i will bet anybody dollars donuts that it, they were just listening to the duke players rather than thinking okay we're going to communicate over them and i think that was a I've always taken that away, that one instance. So, um, yeah, yeah Jason, go ahead. So the last bit I'll add as well, Bill, and it's, again, it goes back to the communication, is that there's, there's obviously many different types, and the, the verbal communication is huge, absolutely huge. You can see in a, in a goalkeeper's body language a mile off whether they're, they're fully confident in themselves or, or yeah. they're not. And the coach's responsibility to be able to provide that and help them with that is is massive. If you if you if we're constantly setting an environment, what I like to refer to as a safe environment, where if they make a mistake, they make mistakes. Fine, it's going to happen. It's the game. Just just get on with it. Next one. If you're constantly creating um, that safe environment and and allowing them to experiment with positionings, dealing with certain balls, definitely crosses. Um, you're going to see a you see a knock on effect with the communication of their body language. There's no question. Oh, agreed. Agreed. One of the things is it's difficult because you don't want to coaches quite often don't think I want to coach confidence. How do I coach confidence? But a good coach will have that embedded in their sessions. And again, the ability to take risks and take challenges and meet challenges uh, is tremendous, especially as we consider goalkeepers resiliency. If you never make a goalkeeper challenged, then you don't know how they're going to respond if they meet a tough challenge. So I think doing that is great. Um, I think Maybe I'll jump a little bit, but we always had this discussion. So answer as you like, but all right. The block or the reaction kind of save versus the, I don't know, the K save, whatever the, the block save versus the reaction. 
your call, Jason. What are we doing? All depends on the scenario. I believe I believe you need again going back to my answer with the first that you need to have multiple techniques in your locker, and they're all going to look a little bit different depending on again the goalkeeper's physical attributes and abilities. But you're going to need a little bit of everything in your locker. So, for example, we were just doing it today. Um, different scenarios. So, we take if we take the blocking scenario for example, we've sort of we've sort of broken it down into short block and long block to give them a to give the goalkeepers an idea of of a different type of block. So it's just not one type of block. So we've gone short block if you're within. And again, I took, we learned this at the DFB last year. If you're within a meter or less, a blocking shape is going to be effective if you're you've got momentum moving through the ball. Anytime you're a meter or more and you go into a block, you're, you're, you're relying on the ball hitting you. You're losing actually a lot of ground. So that we, we sort of play off that one meter rule. If you're, if you're more than a meter, try and stand and react. React with your feet, react with your hand, react with your body, you, know, you name it. But if you are going into a block because you're less than that meter, commit and have momentum going through the block. Don't just drop. Um, however, we talk about the short block where you're a little bit more tighter and compact with the lower part of your body. Also, the longer block, if you're having to recover, it's more like a, it looks more like a slide tackle, if you like, but with your, your upper body facing the ball. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I would agree, especially when you're that close. Yeah, you don't have the time to react, so you need to do that. But that's only if it's that tight. And again, if it's not, then yeah, I agree with you on reading it. Um, you know, again, one of the things is that that shot is going to come quick. And so if you can read that, I think you're, you're better served by reading it. George, what do you, you want to add something? Man? Well, I just wanted to add something because, um, Jason, you were talking about the, the developmental pathway and you guys broke it up into four categories, the foundation. I forgot the second one. Formation. 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 So my question is, when are you addressing teaching something of that level? Because what we're experiencing is we are – seeing it and it's almost as if oh this is my option this is the only option because they're seeing it more more and more on television they're seeing goalkeepers use it um do you guys based off your developmental pathway say okay this is when we're going to introduce or does that just or so i guess that's probably the best way to look yeah. at it. when are you yeah. introducing those techniques we, we're introducing them from right from the start okay. so it Again, with that, with that formation, sorry, foundation groups are under nines, tens, elevens, twelves. We're implementing how they can deal with the one v one because, again, when you look at their key actions in the game, that's what they're seeing, especially at the distances. Because if you take, if you take a small sided field, if you look at the, the the penalty area alone, you're talking fourteen right. yards in length. So you're talking everything with inside the box is close range anyway. Mm. So we're actually doing a lot of it. Um, and again, you're talking about teaching the fundamentals of the, the technique, winning of the loose ball, and then standing, standing to, to block one versus one or standing to react. You teach it for a number of reasons, obviously to be effective, but obviously then for the safety aspect of the game. But I'm looking at now our current 13s and 14s have gone through the process. It's probably the strongest part of their game. Um, which is really, it, it's been interesting. Again, it may, it may not have any sort of knock-on effect uh, based on what we've done, but it may be more down to their characters. But one thing they are is that because they felt the contact of the ball 
um, within reason, within those ranges at such a young age, they're now naturally used to it. Also part of the selection process for, for goalkeepers age, you've got to have a willingness to one want to keep the ball at the back of the net and want be okay with take, taking, taking a whack here and there. You've got to have that mentality. So part of the, I suppose, the scouting and identification is that they have a willingness. Um, are they willing to? Because if you don't, you, you guys know it's going to be difficult. And just, and just building off of that, you know, because you brought up the, the scouting and, and I, you know, the uh, developmental pathway, um, are there the stand, are there standards, expectations that it's just like, okay, at the formation, we need to see this, 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 and then going to the next group, the, the, uh, so I'm sorry, from foundation to formation, are there those standards and expectations that your, the athletes have to meet? Or what happens if they don't? Yeah, the um, so what we've tried to do is again we've gone we've looked at it from a bigger picture. So we've taken what what is the profile for a goalkeeper in the five pillars of the game: tech, tack, physical, psychological, social. What's the what what does it look like at the first team level in the most perfect world for us for the way that we play for the club's philosophy? What does it look like within the five pillars? Then what we've done is we basically uh, dissected it, bang. And if that's the case, then here's how it needs to look at the pre-professional. Here's how it needs to look at our formation and then foundation. Now, if if a player, ideally, a player wouldn't never hit 100% of all the criteria, but they'd probably hit around 70%. And it gives them a, gives us a baseline, it gives them. If they don't hit certain things, I, I wouldn't say we, we rule it out. Um, they're, they're in the programme because they have unique strengths that's why they would have come into the program so i think it's it's for us to say right yeah this is our profile this is what we want them to be able to do but if they've got unique strengths and talents we might want to home in on that like massively and repair some of the other now it's it's obviously a long process but yeah we we want all of our goalkeepers to be comfortable uh with being able to play with their feet at the first team level and at the academy level, it looks completely different in the the, the actions that they're required um, just because of the styles of play. At the academy, um, we want to be able to always play from the back, be able to build through the thirds, and we want the goalkeepers to be, be an obviously an integral part of that. Um, so we, we have to make sure goalkeepers that are coming through, are, are, are they have those capabilities of playing a range of passes. At the first team level, it might not always be the case because now you're talking about the management of the situation. Every scenario is going to look different. Sometimes it's about actually today we need you to be able to put the ball here every time. Um, so it, it all depends. But no, we have, we have a profile per developmental phase uh, that gives us a benchmark of, of what we're looking for. And that's broken down from the first team down versus built up. But they sort of both work hand in hand, if that makes sense. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I can totally get why you would build down. Yeah. yeah. And I think it's a good, uh, as you mentioned, you know, kind of like you're looking at the summation across those five pillars versus just you have to do this and this pillar and that pillar. You look at the summation, I think there's a good perspective to take it at. Okay. It's, you know, it, it comes into it as well, George, we're talking about it. I get, I get asked the, the, the million dollar question, do you want to, do you want to bring in goalkeepers at a 6-2, 6-3, I think every head coach and every goalkeeper coach, if, if they're honest, they say they'd love a big goalkeeper. But just because goalkeepers are not a certain physical size 
the, the physical it's just a physical representation sometimes we come across young young players that might not have the physical look on the eye but they have a great start position they have an understanding of the game they have a confidence and they're very good in other areas you'd never disregard it you'd never disregard it as especially in this pocket of the country we have in Houston we have it's the, the, the diversity is huge you have you have every type of body type that you could ever imagine and you know it's a, it's a big Hispanic area so you're not always getting the big six foot two six foot three six foot four you're just not so yeah. again we have the profile but again we have to be flexible around it love it yeah at the end of the day it's the save the save the save right yeah 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 Good, good. Jason, it's been about an hour, so we've taken up plenty of your time, but this conversation has been tremendously fun. I've enjoyed it a lot. Um, and uh, we appreciate your time, especially given you're probably hoping to get back to training and you've got to, I don't know, not necessarily make up lost ground, but you're just trying to get back to that standard that you had before all of uh, the, the chaos or whatever you want to call it hit. So we appreciate it greatly. No, thank you very much for having me on. Good pleasure. Good. Thank you. Good. All right. And I'll send you, I'm going to email you some stuff. So I don't know if you're a big email person, but I will send yeah, you absolutely. some stuff. Absolutely. Yeah. Please okay. do. Great. Yeah. Yeah. Well, these guys know. These guys know. Yeah. Don't text me, email me. All right. Yeah. yeah. Great, Jason. We appreciate your time. Yeah, thank you very yeah, much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Jason, Thanks. good to see you. All the best, my friend. Thanks so much for coming on, brother. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. We hope you enjoyed that episode at the Goalkeeper Roundtable. If you'd like to reach out with suggestions, comments, or questions, all of our email addresses are available in the show description. If you like the show, we'd love for you to subscribe to it, but also share it in social media platforms or with any other goalkeeper or coach who may find value in it. We hope you turn in to the next Goalkeeper Roundtable.